Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Rita Lucy. She is a doctor of science in rehabilitation counseling, registered nurse, and the chief enthusiasm officer at Soaring Seniors Unlimited. Rita and I will be having a conversation about her amazing life's journey her passion for living to the fullest, and her recently released book, Soaring Seniors, Stories, Steps, and Strategies for Living Full Out After 50, 60, and 70. Good morning, Rita. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing superbly, Johnny. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Totally awesome. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Soaring Cena is a delightful and entertaining read. I love the book cover, by the way. Congratulations on its release. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was really fun shooting that cover. Seeing the cover, <laughs> I'm hanging upside down in a silk doing aerial <laughs> yoga. That's fantastic. It's fabulous. Just seeing that I'm thinking about maybe I'm beyond my senior years. I don't think I could do that. <laughs> Well, you probably couldn't do it well the very first uh-huh. time, but yeah. with consistent effort, I bet you'd be surprised what you could do <laughs> and how so much fun true. it really is. That's for sure. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. <laughs> you know, we're talking, <laughs> what, eight different decades now? <laughs> we have the whole hour, Wait. by the way. <laughs> Okay, well, let's see. The thumbnail sketch was, I was born on the coast of Maine in the middle of March, 1942. Uh, And that was, as you recall from your history, right at the beginning of World War II. Mm -hmm. And so I lived through those war years. My dad owned a dairy farm. Um, I ended up with a cohort of, there were 10 kids in my family, really challenging youth. And now that I've retrospected it a while, uh, I'm now aware of how challenging it really was. Mm-hmm. And I also recognize that I don't have a corner on that market. There are lots of people who have challenging experiences. But what I did get was the experience of growing up on a farm, farm kids, play outdoors, ice skating and sliding in the wintertime, right on the on the salt water on the coast of Maine, of Maine. so swimming in the, in the summertime, climbing trees, jumping out of the haymow. Those, those were fun and entertaining. Um, so that was mostly what my childhood was about. Uh, decided to become a nurse uh, and I joke about, well, I, the four possibilities that I saw at that point were if I could be a teacher, and I didn't want to be a teacher. I'd been in school all of my life. Um, I could be a secretary, but as a junior, I had taken what I wanted to be a personal typing course, only it didn't exist, so they threw me in with the business 
typing, and I couldn't pass a speed test. So I figured that uh, secretarial career was out because <laughs> I was never going to be able to take a letter. <laughs> and then um, nursing was another possibility. And the fourth possibility was, well, get married, but I couldn't buy a date while I was in high school, so uh, <laughs> there was nursing. I also know that nurses were revered as I grew up. I heard mm -hmm. family members honoring the women in my family who were nurses, and I had an aunt who was um, a Navy nurse in, during World War II. So I know those all came to play on how I chose nursing as a career. Very, very interesting. What does a doctor of science in rehabilitation counseling do? Basically, the discipline is about rehabilitation counseling, and they are, mm -hmm. uh, the career is geared at people who have disabilities mm -hmm. and how, what skills do they need, how do they develop them in order to be able to regain their health or regain their vocational pro processes, whatever. I had been in psychiatric nursing for a number of years, and for me, the model that was being espoused at that point simply wasn't working. It was the classic psychoanalytic talk therapy. And so when I found a model of counseling that was created by uh, a Robert Karkoff, that really excited me because his model of counseling talked about you need to assess where people are physically, intellectually, emotionally, and they, he didn't include it, but I now include spiritually and financially. Um, the premise that for that model being if somebody's hungry, it's not going to help to sit and talk about what happened to them when they were a child. Mm -hmm. So one of his colleagues had applied this model to the whole area of psychiatry, and it simply made so much sense. If somebody has a broken hip, the physical therapy is directed at correcting the imbalances, getting the gait back, helping them regain function. So this whole model that was created at Boston University was all about if people have a psychiatric illness, what do they need to do, what skills do they need to develop in order to be able to function effectively in their world. So that just made so much sense to me that there I was. That was what I wanted to do. Uh, and that's still the model out of which I operate. Mm -hmm. When I'm working with people, yes, I want them to be robustly physically healthy. And certainly for people in the senior age group, that has come to be a critical, critical concern because as Americans, we are in awful, awful shape. Uh, <laughs> Two-thirds of us, more than two-thirds of us, are either overweight or obese. That's a death sentence. We're killing ourselves with our forks mm -hmm. and our spoons. So there's a whole lot of learning. And is eating and being overweight, is that partly emotional? For sure. Uh, intellectual, are there things that people need to know? And that was part of the, uh, part of the 
book, as I began it, I talked about mm-hmm. what I call startling statistics. <laughs> Those numbers that I've got in, <laughs> in that section of the book, they absolutely blow my mind. Like, a couple retiring today will spend 67% of their Social Security benefits on health care. And they've already got Medicare. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. 10% of all U.S. deaths are due to medical errors to the tune of, I, I can't remember, hundreds of thousands <laughs> of people a year, but that's a lot. And people, right. people don't know that. Yeah, yeah. The statistics in the book was just fantastic. I thought the numbers are out there, but people are just not paying attention to it. And I'm so glad that you brought it into the book to kind of really set the stage for everybody to be thinking about the future. The future in a way that we don't want to talk about it because the statistics that you talk about just now, for example, we're saving for our health care. And that's amazing. That's unbelievable. What's interesting about your life is the fact that you've always been a forward thinker. Even though growing up in the 50s and 60s, maybe perhaps the environment had put you in a situation where you're forward thinking in your thoughts and so forth. But tell us, who were the influences in your life during those years? Well, you know, I lived a pretty isolated life as a kid. We were four miles Mm -hmm. from town. Mm -hmm. uh, And my nearest friend was a good quarter of a mile away. We didn't have two or three cars for a long time. We didn't have a telephone. We didn't have a television. So, you know, I lived what was, I think at that point, fairly typical for a farm family. Obviously, Mm -hmm. with the urbanization of the population now, that's no longer true. So family members were certainly influential. Um, As a young woman, young girl, there I was in 4-H, and there was a leader who paid a lot of attention, and and I got applause from um, that for sure. Uh, the stories that were circulated in my family, you know, people wonder how I got to be an athlete in an area where most women weren't encouraged to be athletes. In fact, they right. were quite actively discouraged. <laughs> uh, and my mother's father graduated from the University of Maine in, I think it was 1915. Mm-hmm. And there was a story told about him Sometime before he graduated from college, he bicycled from Orono, Maine to West Bath. Now, today, on four-lane highway, if I was going to make that trip, it would take me two hours in my car. Mm-hmm. So he did that on a bicycle, and I'm assuming mostly dirt roads, and certainly he had no tendency gearing on his bike. <laughs> he bicycled from Orono to West Bath, and then... The story was, it was a hot June day when he arrived. He came down over the hill. He pedaled down through the hayfield and rode his bike right into the water. So hearing stories like that, um, Mm -hmm. seeing my mother in the barn, pitching hay and milking cows and that sort of thing, um, I think those bent me toward being physically active plus Mm -hmm. 
by just by the circumstances of my childhood, it was all about being physically active because and reading books. That was certainly something I read a lot of books as a kid. And very, very interesting. Uh, actually, one of my sisters was speculating many, many years ago about how did our lives turn out so differently from so many of the kids that we went to school with. And our the answer that we came up with was there was a Boston Globe in our house mm-hmm. every day. My dad had come from the Boston area, and we had a Boston Globe. That made our world bigger than the world in which many of our age cohort was acquainted with. Very, very interesting. You mentioned about the fact that you were very progressive in a way in terms of charting out your life's purpose during probably some of the most challenging times as far as when we talk about male and female in the career world. So tell us a little bit about that in terms of how you kind of stuck with your guns and that maybe perhaps permeates to your personal life in terms of taking charge and wanting to really make a difference. Well, you know, I think, again, childhood turned teaching mm-hmm. from family members was we were expected to do well uh, and certainly was blessed enough to be born with enough intelligence so doing well in school was easy, easy, easy for me. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty extroverted, so I think that that was something that was a real advantage to me because it's easy for me to talk to people. I'm intrigued about what they're doing. I'm curious. I'm interested that sort of thing. So that that certainly was part of the, the influence. And I think just part of who, uh, for lack of a better way, who I came here to be um, on mm-hmm. this planet in this time. Now, when I graduated from high school, as I said in the book, I thought I was too stupid to go to college. <laughs> um, and, and again... I didn't recognize how smart I was until I was in graduate school. Uh, And then in my early 40s, I was a nurse manager and realized that compared to people around me, I seemed to, to run a pretty good ship, that people really liked working for me, and I was pretty productive and respected. So that certainly gave me a sense of my own internal competence. And then another really uh, profound impact on my sense of competence was when I started running. And nobody was running back then. Well, (laughs) those weird guys in the skinny shorts that were doing marathons. But it was probably 1972 when I first started running. And I found that I really, really enjoyed it. And Mm -hmm. as a young mother, one of the advantages of going out and going for a run was that I could actually think a thought and finish it without getting interrupted. (laughs) Uh, And that just, that was, and it was outdoors. Uh, I I think there must be some Native Americans in my background that I don't know of because I really am drawn to being outside. 
Now, that mm-hmm. said, I think we as a species are drawn to being outside. We've lived outdoors close to Mother Nature for eons of time, and only in the last two or three generations have we closed ourselves in, in houses that are air-conditioned and heated, uh, so we don't have to sweat, we don't have to get wet, but we're missing that contact. Um, you know, I think we have a Mother Nature deficit syndrome going on uh, <laughs> within ourselves. And then I I got inspired uh, when I saw, it was probably the 1982 uh, Iron Man triathlon on TV. It was the year that um, the woman crawled across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just barely made it. She was in first place, and she was yards away from finishing, and collapsed. And we watched her struggle to get upright and stagger a few more steps and fall again. And she was eclipsed for first place within steps. But I had never seen a woman on TV anywhere <laughs> to wiggle so hard and be so determined to complete a goal. And she motivated me to try triathlons, and I know she motivated hundreds and hundreds of other people to start doing triathlons. So, um, And that gave me a sense of being an athlete, really being an athlete, doing the training, staying focused and disciplined, and, of course, I totally loved it. So it was easy for me to do. Very, very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Rita Lucy. She is a doctor of science in rehabilitation counseling, registered nurse, and the chief enthusiasm officer at Soaring Seniors Unlimited. Rita and I are having a conversation about her amazing life's journey, her passion for living to the fullest, and her recently released book, Soaring Seniors, Stories, Steps, and Strategies for Living Full Out After 50, 60, and 70. Rita, why did you decide to write Soaring Seniors? (laughs) Uh, That's a fun story. Uh, It was March of 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a coaching program with a gentleman named Eric Lofholm, and he was offering a uh, write a book in a weekend seminar. But I had social plans for that weekend, and <laughs> I wasn't going to be able to do this to do the seminar. So, but I said, "Hey, I can write a book. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to do the seminar. So, well, what am I going to write about?" And I got inspired to write a little book that gave people a lot of valuable information about how to be healthy and fit as a senior. And part of that was observing the people in my age group around me and seeing how limited they were in what they can do. Uh, Just this morning, I was at uh, a local nursery because it's planting season here in Maine, and mm-hmm. I bought five bags of compost, and I had on a pair of white pants, so I didn't want to lift them into my car. So I asked if there was somebody that could lift them. Oh yes, there's somebody out there in the yard. 
Well, the gentleman that was out in the yard was walking with such a frail look to his being. I said, there's no way I'm going to ask him to do this. I'm going to be able to do it more quickly than he is. So I put them into my car, and the pants are now in the laundry. <laughs> so, but there's there's no reason for us. If you got up this morning and you could take a breath, there is something that you can do so that when you get up tomorrow morning, you're healthier and fitter. And that's where it all starts with the decision. And a part of my professional career as a nurse, I worked in an obesity clinic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I a lot of time was spent getting people to just take, everybody was supposed to be walking, and people would come back and say, well, I didn't get that. And, that. <laughs> and finally, with some people, I'd get to say, okay, can you walk to the mailbox twice this week? Or can you walk to the end of your driveway twice this week? So we need to break those huge, big decisions down into all right, what am I going to do today? In fact, this morning I had a brainstorm. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading Dean Ornish's new book, Undo It, which is fabulous, highly recommend. Okay, so he cited some research that less than two ounces of high fructose corn syrup, people drank it, and it caused a spike in their C-reactive protein, which is a blood measure of inflammation in your body, we know that a lot of the diseases that are killing us and making us miserable before we die now are caused Mm -hmm. by inflammation. That is the big, chronic inflammation is the big key. You get rid of that, your health will come back. So, get less than two ounces of high fructose corn syrup within 30 minutes they had a spike in C-reactive protein. So there was an immediate inflammatory response to high fructose corn syrup. So I decided that I would challenge our listeners today. And that is, if they contact me and tell me how many products they found in their pantry that or their refrigerator right now that has high fructose corn syrup in it, if they've got more than if they've got more than two things that have that label on them, and sometimes it's called HFCS, not high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. So if they find more than two products, they need to talk to me about how to get rid of it because that stuff is dangerous. It they ought to have skull and crossbones on those packages. But they don't. So if anybody wants 30 minutes of my time helping them get healthier, there's my offer. Wonderful. And this is a free 30-minute consultation, correct? Absolutely free. Wonderful. How can they contact you? Well, uh, my local phone number is 207-837-8865. Email R. H as in healthy, Lose, L-O-S-E-E, at Gmail. And 
you can find me on Facebook at Soaring Seniors Unlimited. Wonderful. Let's talk about the book a little bit. Please give us a synopsis of the book. You have wonderful strategies and action plans on how to be a soaring senior. You have 22 steps, basically. But just give us a synopsis of the book. Well, and I think what, what you just said is basically answers to the question, all right, I want to be healthier. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend however many years I have after retirement, say, in a rocking chair, being confined to a nursing home, whatever. <laughs> you know, I want a different future. So once you've made that decision, all right, what do you need to do? Well, it starts with exercise, move. One of the biggest gifts anyone ever gave to me in my entire life was when George Banks said to me, you know, Rita, you need to run. He was right. <laughs> uh, so, and people go, oh, run, I hate running. I don't care to do it anywhere. <laughs> and again, you don't have to run. I mean, if it's been 40 years since you've run, don't start running today. But you sure can go for a walk. Now, while we've been talking on the phone, I'm not sitting at a desk. I'm pacing back and forth mm-hmm. in the room that I'm in, the office that I'm in. For one thing, it energizes me to be up and moving. You, you move, you're getting blood flow to all the cells in your body, including your brain. Mm-hmm. So that is absolute critical, essential. Step number one is move more. And there are statistics, I can't remember the number, but like for every minute you spend um, in physical activity, the return on investment is, you know, 15 to 1 or something like that. It's amazing how, how beneficial it is. And I was lucky. I got reared in a family where it was okay to be physically active, where I got taught being physically active was fun. So... Then the second part, after you're moving, you need to fuel your body. Most Americans right now are eating what I call faux food, F-A-U-X. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like food, it tastes like food, but it's not real food. Uh, the statistics on glyphosate, Roundup, 275 million pounds of Roundup were spread on American farmlands in 2016. Now, I can't tell you what uh, about 17 and 18, but I bet a long, long dollar it's more than 275 million pounds. That stuff is weed killer. It's, it doesn't belong in your food supply, and yet 95% of the wheat that Americans eat has got mm-hmm. glyphosate in it. I even came across an email this morning that talked about organic wines and beers, also having glyphosate in it. So one, in order to be safe, there are so many toxins and so many uh, additives to our food that don't belong in our bodies. We need to be very, very careful about what we put in it. That means you need to be a really alert, savvy consumer. And that means you need to read the labels. You need to know what's in your food, which is why I said, all right, people want to talk to me for 30 minutes for nothing. they got to call and <laughs> tell me how many high fructose corn syrup 
products. They've got sitting in their pantries right now. And there are people, when we've talked about that, will say, well, I don't want to throw away good food, because that's obviously what you do. You get rid of the stuff. You don't eat it. <laughs> and people will say, I don't, want to, I don't want to throw away good food. And my response to that is, you're misunderstanding here. That is not good food. That's faux food. And you do want to get rid of that. So that's one of the things that I talk about. Uh, another thing that I think that differentiates me from a, a lot of people in my age group, I've got goals. I want this book to sell to a lot of people. I want to have a business where I thrive and the people I'm interacting with are learning to thrive. I want literally to change the conversation about what being a senior is like in this country. Mm-hmm. You think about, and I mentioned this in the book, what other experiences that we've had when we would call a senior, what were those like? Well, hey, when I was a senior in high school, did I think I was something really hot? Well, not personally in a way, but boy, as a senior, you were at the top of the picking order. You had it rocked. We were looking forward to getting out of school and getting into the next adventure. Uh, Same thing as a senior in college. Being a senior is the only experience that I can think of where being a senior isn't conceptualized as something positive. So why not make it something positive? Because of my genetic background, because uh, of the way I choose to live now, I suspect I have another 25, 30, 40 years that I can be on this planet. Well, I want to do something that counts. I want to do something that makes a difference. So I encourage people to have goals. The bigger, the better. So are there any other thoughts that you think that would be really good to share with folks? I think one of the fascinating things you talk about in the book is just plain and simple, have some fun time and to schedule some fun time because that changes the chemical makeup of our own very existence itself. So tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, we were just talking about goals and Mm -hmm. January of 2016, I was contemplating New Year's resolutions and I'm totally aware of how infrequently people set a New Year's resolution and then actually carry it out to the end. And the awareness was that I, you know, and the, the big three, lose weight, mm-hmm. get more exercise, have money, save more money, earn more money, whatever. Those are the big three annual <laughs> in the New Year's resolution <laughs> category. So it occurred to me that I want the end result. So if my New Year's resolution is to lose weight, I want to be there. But I don't want to actually do the work that I have to do in order to get there. Right. So I've got a positive and a negative in the, you know, the negatives of actually changing my life so that the weight comes off. Man, I don't want to do it. So here it gets to be the annual resolution. So I said, all right, I'm going to create a New Year's intention, and that's going to be something that's always, always fun. There's going to be no negative attached to this. And so what I came up with was once a month, I have to do, I have to, I choose 
to do something just for the fun of it. Now, if it has an ulterior motive, if there's something else besides fun, then I can't count it. But that's my rule. (laughs) (laughs) People can consider that however they want. So in March of this year, I did skip and ski day with a 13-year-old granddaughter. I had not been skiing, downhill skiing in 20, 22 years. And I love it. I just love it. So Caroline and I took the day off from school, and we drove up to the mountains and went skiing together. It was absolutely such a fun day. So May, May has been in my life a very crazy month and has not gone out the way I wanted it to. So this morning, all right, what am I going to do? Well, while I was at the ski area, I learned that at my age, if I get it by May 31st, I can get a season ticket at this ski area for $100. So today, I'm going to go buy my season ticket. That qualifies. I've never had a season ticket at any ski area ever. And this is just for fun. So those are such enriching opportunities. And it's self-created. Anybody can create that kind of an intention. So true. Very, very true. In the book, you talk about DHEA. How does it affect our well-being? Well, it's pretty essential, as a matter of fact. We all have DHEA. You, as a man, when you were... In your early 30s, you would have peaked at somewhere around 400, 450. I, as a woman, would have peaked at 300 to 350. We lose 2% a year. Our bodies make 2% less a year. So now I'm in my late 70s. Do the math. They don't expect me to have much DHEA. DHEA is a pro-hormone that your cholesterol, you have... DHEA, pregnenolone, estrogen, testosterone, all of the adrenal uh, hormones come out of DHEA. And we have most of it when we're 30. When we get to be in our mid-70s, we've got very little left. And the thing that's so critical about it is your body needs DHEA. It's implicated in some 150 repair signals in your body. My personal history and why I'm so passionate about it is Mm -hmm. in January of 2010, I suffered what I now term my major metabolic meltdown. On January 10th of that day, on New Year's Day, went to Old Orchard Beach and jumped in the Atlantic Ocean and doing the lobster dip, which is a fundraiser for the Special Olympics here in Maine. Then I went to work, worked 3 to 11 as a nurse, came home, felt great. Four or five days later, I couldn't stand up without feeling like I was going to faint. And I just was in an absolute metabolic meltdown. Well, four or five months later, my DHEA level was uh, listed uh, or measured, and it was under 15. It was so low. I couldn't even get on to the lab scale. I was supplementing. 
I tried different, some that were prescribed by my DO, some that I picked up over the counter. Nothing, nothing budged that DHEA level until April of 2016 when I started on a product that's made by Univera. And by June of that year, my DHEA was back up to 279. So there's reams of research that have been done about DHEA, published in some of the major medical journals that most doctors recognize, most doctors read, but pretty much it's ignored. It's not a pharmaceutical. So therefore, docs don't think about DHEA, and I'll bet there's nobody listening to this broadcast that's over 55 or 60 and I think especially if you're a woman who's gone to a doctor complaining of achiness, fatigue, don't have any energy, that sort of thing, they haven't been told, well, you're getting older. Well, that is chronologically true, but it does not need to be biologically true. And for my money, I will be on DHEA for the rest of my life. Don't leave home without it, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, and that's something that people are not going to learn about. Pretty much, they're not going to learn about it through medical uh, facilities. Now, am I saying, you know, ignore your doctor? No, I'm saying find a doctor who will work with you as what I call a PPP, which is a patient-physician partnership. Most people, doctors, health professionals, talk about a doctor-patient relationship. Who comes first in that equation? I'm only dealing with, for me personally, for the rest of my life, and my suggestion, find a PPP, a patient-physician partnership, because that's where the emphasis really needs to be. So that's my wrap on DHEA. <laughs> I love this. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing that with us. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. My guest is Rita Lucy. She is a doctor of science in rehabilitation counseling, registered nurse, and the chief enthusiasm officer at Soaring Seniors Unlimited. Rita and I are having a conversation about her amazing life's journey and her passion for living to the fullest and her recently released book, Soaring Seniors, Stories, Steps, and Strategies for Living Full Out After 50, 60, and 70. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Rita, one of the things that you talk in the book, which I thought was very, very interesting, is growing things. Do something at the house, whether it's indoor plants and outside plants and whatnot, it doesn't really matter. So does growing things really help us with our psyche? Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, there, there's been research published about people in nursing homes who had plants that they were responsible for taking care of. They did better than the people who didn't have plants. I think it's inherent in our human nature mm -hmm. to want to nurture and take care of things, uh, to, to see things grow. I can remember uh, decades ago, again, hearing George Banks say, you're either growing or you're dying. 
and that hit me <laughs> between the eyes because, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that there's no status quo. There's no staying the same. So you're either growing or you're dying. So I think it's really good to surround us. And, you know, for me at this time of year, I live in an area where we have a lot of snow and ice. It's hard to find the growing stuff in my backyard in January and February. And now I live in a world that's in bloom. And it's so absolutely delightful. So, and how about hanging around with growing children? Kids are absolutely delightful. If you spend time with them and talk with them, and yeah, are they a lot of work? Yeah, but it's really fun to start with an infant and watch a person emerge as as time goes by. So I think it really is important to surround ourselves with the growing things and surround ourselves with growing people because we tend to be like the people we spend the most time with. That's true. So true. When did you decide H is just a number? <laughs> um, you know, I think it probably was somewhere around turning 65, maybe before that. But people would ask me, how old you you are? Uh-huh. And my stock answer was 37. Mm-hmm. And I picked 37 because my sense was when we're 37, we're no longer wet behind the ears. We've got some miles on us. We're Mm-hmm. savvy about life and who we are and what we'd like to do and we're still youthful and vibrant and I went what could be better than 37 so I'm 37 <laughs> for the rest of my life <laughs> and people have poo-pooed that idea mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. I would say that if you couldn't see the wrinkles on my face and I had something covering my hair so you couldn't see the lack of color in it. And you saw me walking down the street or running or whatever. You would never, ever in a million years guess my age. And that was that was one of the things I picked up when I was doing triathlons, of seeing the men who were 65 or 70 at that point. And mm-hmm. I had that same reaction of looking at them and going, you know, the full head of hair, not seeing the wrinkles on this guy's face, his body looks like he's 35. Well, why not have a body that looks, and more importantly, can act like you're 35? I'm having a, having a flash on seeing <laughs> Jack LaLanne on the Today Show mm-hmm. when he celebrated, I think it was his 95th birthday. Do you remember Jack? And his yes, it, was, uh, it used to be a black and white <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it was interesting. So Jack yeah, then sitting on the set show, and he's in a chair that had two arms, and he did a push-up, put his legs right straight out in front of him, and just did a push-up from that position on the arms of the chair. Now, I've tried it. I cannot do it. Obviously, it's a goal <laughs> I need to get working on. But, you know, it's like if he can do it, and there are people doing stuff like that all the time. And one of the things that is unfortunate is we, the people in mm-hmm. those senior groups, don't get seen. A few individuals may see us, but you don't see any 
programs on national television or whatever, you know, doing a soaring senior shout-out program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So therefore people, people, I think, we base our expectation at its core about what it's like to be a senior by what our experiences were with the people, older people in our lives when we were kids. So our grandparents. <laughs> that kind of builds our model in our unconscious brains about what being a senior is like. Now, I've told you about my maternal grandfather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Through that experience, I got, at a very young age, the idea that I didn't have to be old and decrepit. I might have to be old, but I didn't have to fall apart. I could be physically active. I could have fun. I mean, he in his 60s would come down here to the farm and camp. So, you know, obviously one of the things I would really love with the, with this book and what I do as a result of that is just to create an idea in people's brain of, oh, I can be old and I can be fit and active and healthy, having fun, making a, uh, a productive impact on the world. So, yes, indeed, age is just a number. How does asking quality questions leads to living a quality life? Well, you know, that was an idea that I picked up from Tony Robbins, probably in Mm -hmm. the mid to late 80s when I read one of his books, and that was what he talked about. And he said that most people, the questions in their lives tend to be along the lines of, oh, how am I going to get for my next vacation? Oh, will this work week ever be over? Uh, Oh, well, that spouse of mine stop being such an idiot. <laughs> you know, those <laughs> kinds of questions. And obviously, if you're asking that kind of question, you're not going to get a high-quality um, answer. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so a higher-quality question might be with, with that person I'm labeling as the idiot spouse. Hey, you know, self, I fell in love with that person at one point. What can I do to help that person show up in my life the way he or she showed up and I fell in love with him? What can I do to feel more in love with that person today? Hey, what can I do to feel more in love with the person I am today? What can I do to be the kind of person that I want that person to love? What can I be What can I do? What can I say? What can I think to be the kind of person as a grandparent that will make a really positive impact on the lives that my grandkids have? Totally different set of answers when you're asking that kind of question. What can I do to make a difference today? Now, I don't have, other than being on this show, I don't have huge plans for the day, but I'm going to the library. Can I make a difference in the life of that librarian when I check out my books? Sure. Just by how I interact with her Mm -hmm. or him. And the lovely thing about it, when I go around being a peddler of joy in the world, doing what I can to put a smile on somebody's face or make their day better, this really magic thing happens. And my life gets better. How cool was that? 
<laughs> so true. I coined what I tell people is how can I contribute to your happiness today? Exactly. Think about the world that we would live in if we all got up this morning and walked around the world asking that question of every single person we met. How can mm-hmm. I contribute to your happiness today? That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love and it. And you'd be surprised. Some of the things that people would ask are simple stuff. Can you move that for me? I've been meaning to move that. I didn't have time. Or can you do this for me because I'm running behind? And that would help me greatly. And many a times what's interesting about the answer is that it's not what you expect. It's something right. trivial, but it's important to them that it gets done. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes giving somebody a hug. Mm-hmm. Of course, you ask permission first, but you know, sometimes <laughs> that, that, that's a huge gift to somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just taking the time to listen to to what's going on for them, that's a huge gift because as a species, we don't tend to really do a whole lot of listening to one another. Right. So true. Where can someone go to buy your book? Get more information about you and keep up with your latest happenings. Well, we talked about my Facebook page, which is Soaring Seniors Unlimited. Uh, For sure, there's information there. My email address is rhlosay at gmail.com. And to get my book, you can run, go walk to amazon.com. And just search under books, add my name or Soaring Seniors, and there I will be hanging upside down on your screen. (laughs) By the way, I love the word Soaring Seniors. It's a very powerful choice of words. Thank you. Thank you so much. I do think being a senior is absolutely a time to soar. That's fantastic. How has writing Soaring Seniors impacted you personally? Well, first of all, I had a lot of fun writing it, mm-hmm. uh, and it was easy to write, which is obviously uh, useful, uh, <laughs> and it's sort of helping me know what I want to be when I grow up, which is a soaring <laughs> senior. It certainly opened my eyes to how very, very critical the message that I have for people who, and I sort of cite my target market as people who are 50 and up. Now, people who are 50 don't think they are seniors, but in the world in which we live, I'll bet most of them in the continental United States already have symptoms in their body as a result of our contemporary lifestyle, which are going to make it hard or impossible for them to soar by their time they're my age. So it's easier to avoid a problem than to correct a problem. So certainly my intention is to open people's eyes and hearts and minds to the idea that there's a better way to live than the cultural conversation about being a senior. You actually can really live. Very interesting. I gather that from reading the book, it sort of gave you that special feeling that perhaps you 
may have realized while you were in the process, you kind of stood stood outside the box and then looking back in and the first thing that came to mind was, OMG, this is crazy. We're in the moment. We're not thinking about anything, but by allowing me to be on the outside, looking back in, this is what I need to do versus getting caught with just the flow of life. Right. To actually deciding what you're standing for in mm-hmm. your own life. And one of the things I want to quickly share, the back. You asked about some of the things that had formed me into the person I am now. Yeah. I was about 30 years old, sitting on the deck one summer afternoon. My older son, Adam, was an infant, and he was in for his nap, and it was like, <sighs> my time for the, for the new mom, because <laughs> he was taking a nap, and I had time to read. I picked up a book, and I read Helen Keller's words. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing. And the jolt of energy that went through my body was like somebody had plugged both my feet into an electric socket because I just got this enormous rush of energy from those words and decided on the spot, I'm going to live a life of adventure. So shortly thereafter, I created the mission statement for my life, which is I am living a life of adventure. During the course of my adventure, I intend to master all that I can physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, and to share what I learn with as many others as I possibly can. So I see soaring seniors absolutely in line with that mission statement. The other thing that I found profound about having that mission statement was whenever I reach a real cross, you know, fork in mm-hmm. the road in my life. Do I do this or do I do that? All I have to do is ask myself, Sarita, what would a woman of adventure do here? And the answer is always <laughs> as clear as if it was written in 18-point bold print. <laughs> so I would encourage anybody who listens just to come up with a mission statement for your own life certainly doesn't have to be like mine, but it's lovely to have a question you can ask yourself and absolutely know what the answer is. All right, what am I going to do here? Hey, what would a woman with adventure do here? Very, very interesting. Do you have any advice for seniors who think it's too late for them to soar? Um, Yeah, don't buy it. (laughs) Don't believe yourself. (laughs) You know, I spent several years when mostly what I could do was lie on a couch and turn the pages of a book because I was in a major metabolic meltdown. And now I'm, I haven't, I've done a little bit of running. I'm certainly not back in my running habit. But I think my next big goal is sometime in 2020s to run a marathon. That's fantastic. Truly, truly awesome. As we close the show, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Well, you know, I think the recipe is if your kitchen, it's your bowl, you can put into whatever <laughs> it is that you want. You can adjust, you know, put in a little more salt, take out the pepper, 
switch the ingredients as you do. Mix it up to your own personal desires, and it will be perfect. Very interesting. Have you doctored up your personal life living recipes over the years? Um, absolutely. Uh, I certainly think more expansively now than I did 20 or 30 years ago. I have mm-hmm. more belief in myself and in the qualities and capacities of what I offer in the marketplace. Um uh, so absolutely, and if you ask me that question two or three years from now, I'm going to say yes. I've added something else. Wonderful. Well, Rita, thank you for the great recipe, for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning, June 4th. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Running for Good, 101 Stories for Runners and Walkers to Get You Moving. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Rita, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. And don't forget to soar today. I am soaring already. Thank you so much. (laughs) And hearing the title of your next program on the 4th, I think I need to be listening in. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) I mean, this is a woman who just said she wants to run a marathon next year. There you go. There you go. Fantastic. Take care. Bye-bye. Perfect segue. Thank you. Bye-bye.